0: G'day, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perrow columns for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Now we've got an interesting one today covering rare earths and copper and gold in the New South Wales Lachlan Fold Belt. Uh, we're talking about the central part of the Lachlan Fold Belt here. Uh, and we're talking rare earths initially and we're speaking with Godolphin Resources based in orange there. The ASX code is GRL. And I had to check this a couple of times. Apparently, it's trading at 7.2 cents for a market cap of $9 million. So why did I have to check it? Because uh, quite recently, they've released one of the biggest uh, rare earth resource estimates on the ASX um, and in a great mining part of uh, New South Wales, of course. So we'll check this one out and see, uh, see what the story is and uh, what the future holds for them. And to uh, bring us up to speed on all that, we have the MD, Janita Owens, Um, speaking to us today. So, g'day Janita, welcome to the podcast, thanks for your time.
1: Hi Barry and thanks for having me on.
0: Right, now the project in question is Narraburra, um, about 12 kilometres from Tamora, there in central New South Wales. Um, You've just announced a, a major mineral resource estimate and resource upgrade, covering both so we've got increases in grade, tonnage, and uh, importantly, the classification of the mineralisation. So, can you just run us through that and give us some feel for how significant it is, and um, where to from, where to next?
1: Yeah, we'll do. Yes. So as you mentioned, um, Narrabara is a rare earth project that we um, actually. Uh, entered a joint venture with a, a private company back in March last year. So we've only had the project for just over 12 months. And in that period of time, we've taken, there was an old um, MRE based on a 2004 Jork classification, really taking on the model of a hard rock style deposit. Uh, and of course, being a 2004 resource, we, we, um, when we did the due diligence on the project, we, we had a look and went, wow, this is uh, pretty encouraging. And uh, even more encouraging that most of the historic um, drilling intersected mineralisation in the weathered profile so in the clays and saprolites and there was not a real focus at that time on rare earth elements they were mentioned but they were really looking for things like zirconium and it was very low grade so we thought that potentially as the rock type or the deposit style was of on top of um a peralkaline granite which is very similar to the types of rare earth deposits that are uh, leached, as in ionic clay style mineralization in southern China and Myanmar. And we thought if we looked at this project from a different perspective, that we might have a project of merit uh, and a very large clay hosted rare earth mineralization project. Uh, as it turned out, there were no historic samples and a lot of the paperwork because the previous explorers had uh, had gone into administration and we had to start from scratch so we did a program of drilling in uh, 2022 and we actually took the initiative to drill diamond rather than air core which a lot of companies do on this style of mineralization. Now there was a couple of reasons. one in New South Wales it was really wet last year pretty difficult to get around logistically. And also sample quality was a, was going to be an issue for us. So by doing diamond drilling, we were able to get 100% recoveries in these clays. We drilled all the way to bedrock and tested the bedrock, which hadn't been done previously. And we were able to expedite our metallurgical and mineralogy programs by sending off um, samples from core. And we have Still more of that to go in uh, this year. So we've got core from last year ready to go for expanded uh, mineralogy and uh, metallurgical programs for this year. Now, we uh, started we finished with all our data collection late last year, and it's been with our resource geologist, and we chose the resource geologist that we did because he had experience in these styles of mineralization. He'd actually worked on those projects down there in China in southern China so he had intimate knowledge of them and he was able to um, put together or come up with the numbers from from the work that we'd done using the historic drilling um, and also our new drilling And, and one of the reasons why he could do that was during our drilling we twinned some of the historic holes so that gave confidence in the old assay results. And we came up with this um, magnificent resource of 94.9 million tons at a grade of 739 ppm TREO, which, as you mentioned, you know, is a, you know a, a fantastic size and very similar to some of the others that, are, that have um, been promoted recently. What actually sets this aside is also we've been able to identify in that uh, 94 million tons is a 20 million ton um, grading at over 1,000 ppm. Treo using a higher cutoff grade, so we do have a higher grade section within this that we've identified, uh, and we will look to um, move that forward in the first instance. Um, so that will be a, a, a kickoff point for mining.
0: I was just going to ask that higher grade zone is that uh, where's that located in terms of the overall deposit?
1: Yeah, so it's located on the eastern side of the project uh, and it sits directly on top of the Narraburra granite, so the weathered product of the Narraburra granite, okay. uh, which is fantastic. Um, the other point of difference of the Narraburra project compared to other um, ionic or clay-hosted projects in Australia to date is that they're generally just one layer that extends laterally for many kilometres mm. and they might be a thin layer, so it could be you know five meters, maybe six meters, up maybe up to ten. With Borough, we actually have three different mineralized layers in a more concentrated area, so our footprint is smaller, but our depth is deeper. And we go from surface um, sometimes down to sixty meters where we have uh, the the rare earth mineralization, which is fantastic.
0: So still still ionic clay type stuff, IOC type material at those depths.
1: It's indicated that it is. Yes, that's correct. Oh, okay. so, and how we know that is we sent some samples off of all of those different horizons. And we sent those to ANSTO, who are, you know, leaders in the field of doing the uh, metallurgy and, on these types of uh, clay deposits. And we really wanted to know, and it goes back to the original, when we took, you know, the original idea when we took on this project is the mineralisation is sitting within the clay's is it ionic? Can it be leached? And that's a really important question because it really does lead to those um, low-cost production and uh, low capex cost projects. And the answer was so far, yes. We we've only done very minimal testing because we you know we wanted to know one whether it could be done. Um, so that simple yes or no. And under what sort of conditions? So, you know, does it have to be really acidic fluids or can it be, you know, near neutral fluids and temperatures and and time? So we've done Mm -hmm. some baseline work and it's all been quite positive. In -hmm. fact, some of our um, testing actually produced some some magnificent results on, you know, the um, magnet minerals. So we're talking neodymium precipice, sorry (laughs) hard to get your tongue around some of these
0: absolutely that's (laughs) why i go ndpr
1: (laughs) (laughs) prasiodium terbium and um and dysprosium, and you know we were actually able to get recovery rates up to 92 percent on just for this initial testing and to put that in perspective it was you know one test on one sample but that does give us a really good indication uh, that, you know, we we have the potential to get um, these minerals out in, in very high concentrations. So that's encouraging. Obviously, we need to do a lot more um, of that metallurgical testing on samples from across the entire deposit and from different depths as well. Um, but that's what we've got planned for this year. And okay. uh, that's where we'll be moving forward with
0: and what's the lay of the land uh, at Narraburra? Are you on farmland or is it forested area or what's the yeah,
1: story? So currently um, they farm sheep and they do some cropping, and, um, which is generally what happens in this part of New South Wales. It's you know, usually large scale cropping activities, um, grains and, and things like that. Most of the project sits on one landowner And um, we've had really great interactions with the landowner. We have very good um, relationships and uh, it doesn't hinder our work at all. We've been able to uh, do what we want and um, we have good working relationships, which is really positive. We've also um, presented at the local council uh, and what they call the Boom Time Forum, which is basically not just about mining it's about all different activities in the tamora area mm-hmm. and the council are very progressive and are really looking for um projects and infrastructure to come their way to support their community moving forward as well
0: yeah. well it is a uh, the broader region there that lock and fold belts particularly the central zone is very mining intensive isn't it as, as well as farm there's almost a happy coexistence there i guess
1: Absolutely. Um, I mean, I used to work at North Park, so I, I looked after the exploration and, and um, evaluation, you know, from the geology side of things when I was there. And you know, we used to have a farmer on staff. It, it's it is quite common. Um, farming and mining do go hand in hand, and uh, it, you don't need to have one or the other. They can coexist quite comfortably together.
0: Mm. Interesting. Um, One of the concerns or issues around (coughs) clay-hosted deposits, of course, is when you were talking earlier about being laterally extensive, but quite thin. So therefore, you have to (coughs) mine half the state to get to the resource. But here you're you're talking about depths of what down to 60 metres or so.
1: Yes, that's correct. So we do have uh, you know thinner layers at the top, but it goes um, deeper down, so we have a very deep weathering profile uh, on the top of the the actual underlying granite, and that's really important because it does allow us to have a smaller footprint on surface. And when we talk about mining of these types of things, it's not traditional blast and, you know, drill and blast and trucking. It's very much digging it up because it's unconsolidated, which Mm -hmm. really does save on mining costs. So one smaller footprint, we're not, you know, we're not reaching out far across the land, smaller space, um, uh, but going deeper. And, uh, you know, some of the times these things are actually just, you know, with the scrapers that they use to, to, um, do roads with so it's yeah. it's yeah. really quite cost effective
0: okay now what uh, you mentioned there there was a, a 20 million ton uh, high grade uh, zone of more than 1000 ppm is that is that in itself critical mass to get moving on you know scoping studies potential mining project
1: i think it is for us now not necessarily for all types of companies but we do see that as a as a really good space to concentrate on. We have only done one drilling campaign to date so we do want to do a little bit of extension because one of the things that was highlighted from this drilling is um, the most northern hole that we drilled had some of the highest grades of our magnet minerals so the NDPR and they have it completely open so we want to try and increase that because that does a part of the 20 million tonnes. We also know that um, some of the historic drilling, which sits just on the outside of our 20 million tonnes, didn't reach the actual um, lower levels. So it didn't reach the layer or all the way through layers two and three. And by putting a number of holes in there, will one be able to increase the grade and in that area, we would assume um, based on our modeling and also to increase the tons uh, with very few drill holes, so that's something that we want to focus on as well but you're right. the twenty million tons is where we see we can do our um, cost effective mining study and um, and focus on that for kicking the project off
0: mm. and well, we both uh, suggested earlier that this is one of the the biggest uh, a mineral resource estimates for ionic uh, absorption clay type styles that you would see on the asx but if i look at the, some of your peers out there they have market caps that are multiples and i mean multiples of your current share uh, market price market value what uh, what do you think is holding back a re-rating of uh, you guys post this mre estimate
1: i i don't know <laughs> barry it, it's really quite puzzling you know we we do have a resource that is, you know, definitely worth um, a lot more than what our share price is showing. And not only that, Godolphin, even as a copper gold company, is so totally undervalued. You know, we have three MREs uh, on our gold and copper side. We've got 519 kilo ounces of gold in inventory under MREs over so three different projects. Mm. We've got a lot of very good quality projects. Uh, that should see our um, share price increase and um, our market cap should be triple.
0: Maybe I sense perhaps the market might be waiting for um, word of a scoping study to to, give some fairly rough and ready figures about what what is the potential of the project. Uh, So what is the timeline on a scoping study?
1: Look, and I I think you may be right. Um, I think the market is a little bit confused when, when all of these rare earth projects are coming on board. So there are a lot of people exploring for rare earths now, and there's been a few that have been popping up. Uh, I, I think for us, we are ahead of the game. We have, you know, a indicated resource already yeah. um, just from our mm-hmm. first phase of drilling. So we are, you know, we're, we're already ahead of the game. We do know that there's something there. The other um, fact that people don't, I guess, maybe really understand is the benefit of a clay hosted deposit over wow. a hard rock deposit mm-hmm. you know the capex costs are just they're just apples and oranges you know if you've got a hard rock style deposit you're looking at you know probably 1.2 to 1.8 billion dollars of capex to get your you know processing up and running whereas mm-hmm. a clay style is tens to hundreds of millions uh, so so much more readily able to be um get into production the Actual methods of doing that are quite simple. Um, in China, unfortunately, they do in situ leaching, which is quite environmentally damaging. But that's not something that would no. you know, ever <laughs> be considered in Australia. We, we would leach in tanks, so it's not something that's going to be environmentally destructive. It's very sound technology that's used in other um, you know other commodities. You know, leaching does happen in Australia for gold um, and other commodities. So it's it's all. Well-known technology um, and those, uh, you know, low-cost um, processes to to get us to mining.
0: Mm. And it is, of course, uh, what everyone knows about China's dominance of the rare earths industry supply chain. And it is though those ones in southern China, uh, the clay operations, that uh, underpin that dominance.
1: That's correct, and that's why we see our project as vitally important, as it is similar to those um, other other ones that are out there. May not be exactly the same because not all clay hosted are the same. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. they're similar, but not all the same. Yep. The fact that you know the ones in China are similar; they're on peralkaline granites, so they're the weathered product, just like ours. We have that similarity, so our processes are known, uh, and it's going to make it easier for us to. To do our mining study and um and move into actually production
0: you mentioned uh, your most recent uh, experience was in copper gold at north parks great operation um i was just wondering how you're finding it uh, in the rear earth space
1: yeah so uh, i mean i did leave um north parks in oh, two, um, 2016 or so mm-hmm. and um and have been working in different sorts of exploration in new south wales um, and I really enjoy the rare earth space. You know, copper and gold is always, I think, uh, from a geologist's point of view, interesting. And uh, it's definitely going from porphyries to clay-hosted rare earths is, is different. But I think all geologists have a, um, an appetite for discovery, but not only an appetite for discovery, an interest in learning new things and about new things. Mm. Uh, and we all need to understand that this is, the, you know, the path for the future, uh, we can't just stay, you know, with the old technologies that we used to, used to do. Um, we need to innovate and be innovative people. So um, getting into the rare earth space, which is going to be the future for the country um, with the batteries and all of that um, green technology, I think it actually really blends well with, um, you know, a, a focus on copper, which is a part of that story. Um, our base metals, which is lead and zinc or specifically zinc. Um, and having gold in our in our portfolio really does make us um, a, a very good, you know, company to be involved with.
0: Mm. It's um, it's funny how all metals are now well, seemingly most of them are now critical metals. But quite seriously though, when I was just wondering in your interactions with you know local government, state government, uh, and perhaps uh, even the federal government, that uh, are you feeling a um, a more Conducive uh, response because we are talking about critical metals in this case, say rare earths, particularly. And as we know, the world is uh, um, post COVID, worried about supply lines and you know the US and China's trade mm. wars, for want of better expression. Just find you now, like if you at a barbecue on a on a Sunday, would you you'd think people would say, "Oh, that's in, that's great, rare earths." Whereas if you're looking for coal, who knows what they would say
1: absolutely um, mm. it's definitely a much easier topic to talk about uh, <laughs> than coal mining <laughs> for mm. sure um, I mean a lot of people don't really understand why coppers included in you know critical minerals um, but it, it is still a you know and, and gold to that that respect as well we still need those things as a part of this story but they're not necessarily you know the main story and and you're right it's this dominance that china has over these products and the world has just said this is a risk to us and it's a risk to a green future and that's why they're looking at countries like australia with the geopolitically safe environment to to source these products now we also have to look at it from a global perspective and you know we've heard about america looking for these products as well they don't want to get them from china anymore but There's also um, other countries like Europe that are actually looking for these things as well, mainly because they never have the opportunity of having these within their own country. Their countries are overpopulated and very small. So Mm. the likelihood of being able to find these or if they did find them, mine them is is quite low. So being able to find them in a a, uh, a geopolitically um, stable location um, is very important. And Australia has that. Japan has just recently, you know, been talking about trying to find these products, you know, and they're going straight to the source. They're not going, trying to find, you know, get them from a smelter somewhere. They're trying to get them from the deposit. So, you know, buy them from a very early stage, which is good for Australian explorers.
0: Yeah, for sure. Okay. Very interesting story. So just bring it all together for uh, investors and give them a feel for what they should look out for before the rest of this year's out. And on the way uh, doing that, just uh, a quick little update on your uh, copper-gold porphyry exploration projects.
1: Yeah, no, I will do. So we have just announced the the, the updated MRE and uh, excited about that. Um, it's a magnificent result and I want to congratulate my entire team for you know, putting that together and, and uh, the work that they've done on that in such a, a quick timeframe. Uh, further to that, we've done some baseline uh, metallurgical work. What we haven't got yet back from ANSTO is our mineralogy. So that tells us Uh, where that rare earths actually reside so Mm. either on the outsides or insides of crystals and that that will um, further inform our ongoing metallurgical test work so we're going to be starting a expanded phase of metallurgical test work with with some and so this year and we'll be doing some infill and extension drilling so trying to scope out those higher grade sections and uh, infill where we know we can add some easy tonnes and grade to the resource. So that's pretty exciting. So that's Mm -hmm. going to be in the next few months. We will uh, and are pushing towards having a um, commencing a mining study, so a scoping study towards the end of the year. And that's something that we're quite excited about as well, because we can then give more details as to how and when this is likely to happen. Uh, We we want to expedite the Rare Earth Project. We don't want to just sit back on our hands. Godolphin is an active and aggressive explorer and we want to stay on that path. With that in mind, why we're, we're doing all of this and we have set our company up to be able to cope with doing two different projects or many projects at the same time. We call it a multi-discovery strategy. So mm. we've got a team that's focused on Narrabara and the Rare Earth Project, and we have a team that's focused on the Copper Gold Projects. So they will at the same time be um, completing some RC drilling at our Cyclops Project, which is a cop- copper project near... Um, uh, Yoval in uh, New South Wales. Now we did receive some government funding. We applied for a grant to assist us with drilling and we were successful in that. So we'll be drilling there. We've also been um, doing some ground mag and uh, soil surveys at Yeovil East and we are developing or working up our target there to, to drill test. We've got another project called Goodrich which sits to the south of Yeovil and again it's a copper project. There's a small historic open open pit copper mine uh, at surface you can walk around and pick up rocks with molybdenite which is exciting from a geologist's perspective but what we have identified is a um in historic drilling is many areas that have high grade um copper that haven't been followed up
0: mm. so we
1: we do see that 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 project um should deliver some exciting results and uh and our um Lewis Ponds project, which is, you know, it's it's nothing to be sneezed at. It's a great project. It's six point two million tons, sitting at two grams per tonne gold, at the moment. Plus, it has copper, lead, zinc, and silver, all of those credits. And uh, we we're going to be doing a, a little bit of reconnaissance work and really trying to put together the the copper story with um, Lewis Ponds at the moment, because it is, we, we know it's uh, gold rich in the north and, and copper rich in the south, and the copper hasn't really been followed up. So we're going to be doing some work around that uh, later in the year.
0: Right. You've uh, outlined a, a fascinating story there, very active for a, a junior explorer across various commodity streams and various uh, projects. So we'll be uh, watching with interest. Obviously, a lot of uh, major re-rating events coming up before the year's out. So uh, the $9 million market cap, um, I'll be interested to see what it is next time we talk to you. So good luck with it all. we watch it watching with interest.
1: Well, thanks, Barry. And I hope that uh, next time we're speaking that it's a, a much different market cap as well. <laughs> 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 thanks, Barry. Okay, bye.